0: Hey, Rumcasters! We're back with another episode of the Rumcast. I'm John, and he is Will, and together we are your host for the podcast, a podcast where we talk about all things rum-related with the people who love and shape it. So, happy belated Valentine's Day to you all out there, and we hope you had a good one. Um, We are actually recording this early on Valentine's Day, actually, so... uh, Love is in the air. Yeah, and uh, Will, uh, I was going to ask, do you have any plans tonight with uh, Miss Hookinga?
1: Uh, no say, actually is- not not tonight um <laughs> we got you know any valentine's festivities out of the way yesterday i don't know it's kind of weird this year like we don't we don't usually i guess like since the early days of our relationship um we haven't really tried to you know go out to eat on valentine's day we usually just do something like around the date yeah. you know we go out yeah. to dinner at one of our favorite restaurants i get her some flowers we don't really do gifts on valentine's day that much um yeah. you know keep it keep it chill laid back uh, enjoyable and avoid the craziness
0: I'm right there with you. That's a a strategic move and a a smart one, definitely, because it gets crazy. And yet at the same time, it's so weird because you have this balance back and forth with Valentine's Day of like, you, you should love each other every day of the year and all of that. You know, you see a lot of that online with those comments. But at the same time, it is remarking or a holiday that remarks that or reminds people to, you know, do a little bit. But Do you know,
1: do a little something special.
0: Exactly. But it doesn't have to be on that day. I, I agree with you, Will. You know, we try to do the same thing maybe on the Friday before or after. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to necessarily having to celebrate it on, on So the how day did of. you
1: handle it this year in the in the midst of the pandemic? <laughs>
0: Well, good question. So we're not going anywhere either. Um, we are, you know, staying in um, and enjoying each other's company at home, playing a board game, unsurprisingly, nice. As you may imagine. Is
1: it one that, like, any non-game-obsessed person would be familiar with? Or is it, you know, one of those, like, deep-track board games for gamers only?
0: I, I would say both, actually. So to <laughs> to a degree, it's called Pandemic Legacy. And the first thing You're, people can do, is Wait, know, hold seriously? on a second. Hold
1: on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> So you're telling me the the real pandemic isn't enough. You you now need as as a dose of escapism. You need to play a board game version of the pandemic to get through.
0: You know, well, so first I'll say this game existed prior to COVID, <laughs> um, so it's been around. Pandemic's been around uh, for a while. This is a certain version of pandemic that's come okay. out, uh, and also pre-COVID. But I guess you know, it, it's a it's an interesting way. Yeah, maybe some people might be like, "What? That makes no sense." I guess it helps us get control of it
1: in a way. That's true. Like it's you know, like, we hey, feel like I have a shot at, at beating this myself
0: yeah so i mean we we all deal with this in our own ways i guess and you know we love playing board games and this is one we love to play and we've been enjoying it so it's great it's a series it plays over you know each game changes a little bit within the okay. context of the, the the game so you know you scratch off stuff you write on the board it's very different experience than you would think of with a traditional board game but i digress and this is not a board game podcast and
1: we wait but before before what? we move on okay. who who won
0: so, that's, it's actually a cooperative game. So, we oh, play against the game. You're fighting the pandemic. We are fight literally fighting the pandemic. Okay. COVID, now, I get but, it. Ah, I get it yes.
1: now. You're united against it. Okay. Exactly. I thought maybe the goal was to try to, like, wipe out as many people as possible or something
0: <laughs> no, like that. There probably are some games out there like that. But, no. We love, you know, again, you know, with the Valentine's Day spirit, we're a team against this. So, it helps us in that way to do it. But, yeah. you know, I, I will say this. She got me a gift. Uh, we, do, we do small gifts usually. So, I Very got a nice. small gift and she got me a gift. But it was rum-related, so I wanted to share that. All right. Um, so it's it's interesting, and I haven't had a chance to really get into it yet. But it's a glass for rum tasting. So, you know, typically we use, you know, Glen Cairns. I use Glen Cairns as a sipping yes. glass a lot. I have a that's couple of glasses. That's my go-to. Right. Um, this one she got for me because she thought it looked interesting, and it's called the Final Touch Rum Taster
1: Glass. The Final Touch Rum Taster Glass? I haven't heard yes. of this one. And so I'm showing oh. Will here on It's kind of shaped camera. like an hourglass almost, but like not as narrow in the center as an hourglass. Yeah. I-,
0: I almost say it looks like an Erlenmeyer flask, if that's not too foreign a concept for people. Um, that's I feel like, like the, I remember
1: references to that on Breaking Bad.
0: It's like those science beakers. Yeah. Like if you think of a science beaker that's wide at the bottom and and right. small at the top, that's what an Erlenmeyer Meyer flask is. But it has this like, uh, gosh, I don't want to call it a nipple. Uh, a uh, uh, <laughs>
1: it has a. Bump. In trying to avoid it, you did call it that, <laughs> so I love it.
0: Well, yeah, it has a nipple on the bottom, and supposedly this is allowing the liquid to swirl around in a better way and help with the aromatics of it. Um, the I took it out, and the first thing I will say though is it's it's very large in comparison to like a Glencairn.
1: it almost looks like like a like a Voss or something
0: yes it's it's quite big and in fact it tells you it holds 11.8 ounces so whoa wow yeah um i don't think it's intended to put that much in it is my guess it it says on here the ideal pour is one to two ounces which is right so it's meant to stay at the bottom of the glass and kind of swirl around in a little like uh interesting yeah i kind of see the picture
1: of it um so have, yeah. you, have you taken it for a spin yet?
0: I, I mean, I, okay, so yes, I did, but I don't feel I got enough to really properly get uh, like any kind of a review that would be helpful right. to people yet. All so right. yes, I would say you can definitely uh, smell, even though it's a larger glass than Glencairn, the, the nosing still works very well. That's the only thing I can tell you for now. I will also say it's very light. For the size of the glass, it is... It feels very light in your hand. I can see some people not liking that as much because they feel like they want to hold on to something. And then I can Mm. see others really appreciating that lightness to it. So just an interesting one. I know it's available in Total Wine. I don't know if it's anywhere else. And no, we're not getting paid for this. So just (laughs) just to make that clear. But I I just thought it's very, It's unique.
1: It's sure, I minded. mean, definitely. Just looking at it, it, it does seem unique. You'll as, as you continue using it, maybe you can kind of compare and contrast with the yeah. Karen and other stuff, and kind of give us an ongoing report on you know whether this is something worth trying out for uh, other rum
0: lovers. Happy to do so. I mean, it's literally called a rum taster glass, so you know <laughs> we should probably uh, put it through its paces.
1: So over here, I'm under winter storm warning right now. Oh the roads goodness. are slick; people are sliding all over the place. No one knows how to deal with this weather here in Tennessee mm-hmm. because it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm I'm normally already kind of at home a lot, anyways, because I work from home. You know, the pandemic's going on; I'm not going out as much. But now, I like definitely can't go anywhere over the next few days, and. Oh. All I can think about is how I'm stuck here in the house <laughs> with nary a bottle of the new Hampton Great House release in sight uh, to add insult to injury. You know, yep. we listened to Christelle Harris talk all about this release, which was great and illuminating, but only amped up yep. my desire for it even more. And then to top it all off, the cherry on top, you tell me a few days ago that your bottle arrived and now I get to hear about it again real quick before we get to the interview. I know you have had the opportunity to taste this latest oh, yeah. release from Hampton Estate. And I'm excited, though jealous, to hear your thoughts on well, what you think about it.
0: I, You know, I intentionally didn't make reference to the weather this time, you know, Will, just, to, <laughs> just trying not to beat you up with it every time like we do. Um, but I, I guess I kind of do have to say it sucks to be you right now because i am in some really nice weather probably similar to jamaican climate i i would gather and uh got to sip on this great house uh last night and i'm really enjoying it so i I won't spend a lot of time on it because we do go through it a lot and talk about it in the interview like you said but i did do some a b testing with it last night up against the hampton 46 okay um, which was a fun exercise one of my favorite rums Yes. Uh, and and an amazing rum, just a, a quintessential rum that kind of we both feel I think everybody should experience or have in their home bar. Yeah. Um, so, OK, so really quickly, again, I'll keep it short here. As you imagine, they're quite similar, but there is some clear differences as well. So, first of all, let me make sure to, to clarify. This is the Great House Distillery Edition 2020, which is the green label, 59% ABV. Uh, and this one, I believe, is a blend of the OWH, 80% OWH mark, and then 20% of the Diamond H. And, right. So, uh,
1: OWH being kind of the lowest ester mark right. in the, the Hampton range. And yeah. Diamond H, I believe, is like mid medium-high in the ester range. Uh, right. If you like, sort them all by... Extra levels
0: which i think matt petrick has done on cocktail wonk and uh, yes i literally i have the
1: article pulled up right now (laughs) and yeah diamond h is like four down from dok at the top and about five up from owh down
0: at the bottom and and interestingly i think that's the difference between this year's edition and last year's because last year's was 20 percent dok And this year's is 20% diamond H. So it moved down a little bit in the esters, but I I mean, I haven't tried last year's Great House. I wish I had so I could compare that. But I I will tell you, this one is just fantastic. Uh huh. Uh, I mean, it is, oh, it is so good. So this is a phenomenal freaking bottle of rum. It's slightly darker in color. You can see that probably that additional aging is made it a little bit darker. I don't know the exact aging of both of those, but I do believe and, and recall hearing that this one spent at least versus last year's Great House an extra year in the barrels. And also, I understand that the Great House from last year was about the same color as the the Hampton 46. So doing a little bit of deducing there, uh, it's darker. The second thing is that, obviously, with the much higher ABV, you would expect to get a lot more of the, the alcohol there, but it's really not. Interesting. So that that was the biggest thing for me that was surprising, is the nose on it is actually softer and more delicate and more intricate than the Hampton 46. Ah. And so I think that kind of sets the tone right away that you're like, wow, this is a special bottle Uh, for for what it is. And then, you know, moving back and forth, you get all the same Hampton kind of hallmarks, the overripe banana, the hits of pineapple. Clearly, all of that is there. But I will say that in Great House, there is something else present. Okay, It's like uh, you get almost a creme brulee bit of sweetness on the nose and faint baking spices or anise kind of thing to it. it. It takes the Hampton 46 and steps on it with more layers of depth, more layers of complexity, and just overall is a, a superior kind of flavor profile. That doesn't mean, and I hope, although I'm praising this one greatly, that the Hampton 46 is still an amazing product. And as we mentioned, it's, it's awesome. But the Great House is a very clear step up in terms of a sipping rum that you can enjoy on its own, neat pour. You just, it doesn't get any better.
1: Wow. Okay. So I'm, I'm reeling a little bit just because like the, the end of that really, it almost like, you know, I kind of want to step in and like be like, Hey, hey, you know, <laughs> leave the 46 alone. Ease up a little. Don't, don't be throwing in these like, oh, like it's a better sipping experience. I got to stand up for my guy over here. Okay. At the same time, that's very exciting. It, it kind of stands out to me. Like, yeah. Um, in your description, it almost sounds like maybe more of the, I think of the Hampton 46 as like that very like fruity, like tropical fruit experience. Definitely. And you definitely get like some of the, the oaky kind of barrel characteristics mm-hmm. that I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, someone who is coming from the bourbon world may like. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm getting even more of the 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 oak characteristics in your description of the great house bottling. Like maybe those are amped up a little bit and like the fruitiness is toned down some. Is that a correct interpretation of your experience or am I projecting a little bit? Uh, so I think
0: I, I, a bit of both. I think it is it is correct that there's a little bit more of the oaky flavor in there. But also, I think you, you really can tell that these are very similar at the end of the day. But again, I'll, I'll go back to the idea that the Great House just feels like it has more depth, complexity, and layers to it than the Hampton. And when you go back... Sorry, than the Hampton 46. But when you go back to the 46 and you go back and forth between the two... The forty six has a little bit sharper of an edge to it.
1: Mm, I like, I love that sharpness about it. That's a, that's a good like when you said sharp, I was yes. like, mm, yeah, I know what you're talking about,
0: right? Mm-hmm. Which I very much enjoy and actually think it works super well in some mixed drinks because it stands up. Yeah, you don't get that as much in the Great House. Okay. Uh, in the Great House, it's, it's far more rounded. Is what okay. I would say. I'm very much hesitating not to use the S word here, as you may know, <laughs> which I'm not going to use, but we all know what it is. But I would say that a stand-in for that is you've, you've got a rum here that, to me, is, is in every way, shape, or form a superior sipper to the Hampton Forty Six.
1: So playing devil's advocate here, I, I could see some people saying, "Well, you're you're comparing uh, 59% ABV to 46% yep. ABV. Yep. Um, do you, and do you think that that could account for some of the difference as well? Like, are, do you think if you compared this to the Hampton Estate Overproof, which is the same ROM as the 46, but is at 60% rather than 46%? Do you think some of the differences you're pointing out in complexity would be a little closer I than the 46?" I really want to do that.
0: I've tried the Overproof before the Hampton Overproof. I've actually yeah. tried
1: it neat and r- i freaking loved it
0: as well yeah. but i don't have a bottle of it right now a sample got it so will what we need to do is i need to send you some great house and we'll okay. figure out a way you can get me uh, some of the overproof and we can do that together and try it and see Absolutely. Uh, i'd be curious because i think you're on to something there i do think that's part of it but ironically right now the alcohol bit of the rum comes out much greater in the Hampton 46 than in the Great House 59. Wow. Uh, And and I I don't think I would be alone in that, is my guess. But I'm curious to hear if other people have uh, similar experiences and see it the same way. If uh, you you all out there, listeners, have tried both of these, or maybe the Overproof as well, that would be interesting for us to hear about and see, am I ridiculously off my rocker or... Is this the experience that other people are getting with this new Great House release? Uh, it's it's fabulous, and I can't wait to get you some, Will, because I think you're going to enjoy it as well.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it, and I look forward to it. And with that said, I am excited to get to this interview. We had a, yes. a fantastic conversation with Christelle Harris, uh, who, you know directs many things over at Hampton estate uh, marketing. Uh, she has a hand in kind of, like, you know, a lot of times you see her title as marketing director and I feel like people hear that. And I don't know that it fully captures everything she, she does yeah, over there. She has
0: her hands in everything.
1: Yeah. yeah um, so, you know, basically anything you see coming from the distillery, the estate bottlings, the new great house additions, uh, going back all the way to rum fire, like her fingerprints have, have been all over it. Um, yep. You see her out representing the distillery all over the place, her family, purchased the distillery at auction from the government of Jamaica over over a decade ago. And the interesting thing to me, and I think kind of like the crux of our conversation, what we tried to focus it on, is when her family got the distillery, the distillery wasn't really what they were after in this right. purchase um, from the government. So what they really, you know, the the main thing they were prioritizing was the purchase of uh, the Long Pond Sugar Factory, Mm -hmm. which I want to be careful. People will hear Long Pond and they'll immediately think of the Long Pond Distillery Distillery. in Jamaica. So Long Pond Sugar Factory, uh, Long Pond Distillery, totally separate, not part of each other. Long Pond Sugar Factory is not making any of the rums you see labeled as Long Pond. So anyway, they got the Sugar Factory. Invested a lot of money into it. Um, As Christelle points out, it it didn't work out the way they had envisioned. Um, The the sugar factories actually closed several, uh, I think, in 2017, but... Hampton Estate Distillery was this thing kind of to the side is like, you know, they didn't even really know that much about it. And one of the surprising things to me, you know, reading past interviews with Christelle, talking to her more was just the idea that like, you know, Hampton has this legendary status in the minds of of uh, rum fans out there. But as Christelle points out, in Jamaica, it's not really... Uh, known like she she had never really heard of it most of her family wasn't familiar with it right and part of that is owed to the fact that historically you know hampton was selling all of its rum in bulk uh it was all exported they didn't age any hampton rum there at the distillery uh it didn't have its own hampton labeled you know brand releases or anything like that and that's really what her family started doing uh, shortly after they bought the distillery was uh, aging barrels of rum right there at Hampton Estate uh, for the first time, uh, at least the first time, like at scale with the intention to like, you know, sell mm-hmm. it there. Yeah. And yeah. what what I wanted to to find out in this interview was like, OK, you know, stepping back as a rum fan, you can kind of imagine an alternate reality in which Hampton is bought by someone. Uh, who is unfamiliar with it, you know, kind of mm-hmm. like Christelle's family was, mm-hmm. but decides like, you know, Change. why do we why do we care about, you know, yeah, continuing yeah. to do things in these really old methods of rum mm-hmm. making these traditions, you know, that aren't necessarily the hallmark of efficiency, but contribute so much to what makes Hampton Hampton. Yeah, it, it's just you can imagine another, uh, you know, sliding door scenario where like everything changes <laughs> the multiverse. Exactly. Uh, Maybe the Hampton brand never gets born. Maybe they just keep up with the bulk stuff, but they don't do this. And it's like, I wanted to know, like, how did you go from not knowing about this distillery to being like, wait a second, there's something incredibly Mm -hmm. special going Mm -hmm. on here. Mm -hmm. And we have this opportunity to do something Uh, that that's never been done before. Like, uh, how did, what was the, like, when was the moment that you realized what you had on your hands and decided to, to go in this direction? And like, Mm -hmm. how did you, Christelle, you know, come in and be like, you know, I want to be a part of, um, I want to step into this role. We talk, you know, a lot about the, her own family history, like what led them to this point everything that's happened since the acquisition. Um, some really interesting like rum fire stories that I hadn't mm-hmm. uh, heard as much about. And then getting into obviously the estate bottlings, those first experiences of introducing the, this tropically aged at origin Hampton to some of the rum world and leading up all the way to the great house editions. We talk a lot about those and uh, a little bit of breaking news uh, in the interview as well, especially for rum drinkers in the United States about yes. some exciting stuff that Christelle, uh, shared with the permission and and seal of approval from one Kate Perry, uh, over at La Maison Avelier. So, um... Yeah, I'm, I I hope people can tell I, I really enjoyed this conversation. I know you did too. And I'm super excited for everyone yep. to uh, to hear it. Anything to add before we before we throw things over to the conversation with Christelle?
0: I think you captured it perfectly. And I can hear your enthusiasm, Will. <laughs> yeah, I know like, Hampton is just one of your yeah, favorites. Yeah. yeah. And this is such a great origin story. Because that's what, what Christelle gets to us is that origin story of Hampton, like yep. you were describing. And it's awesome. And her candidness is really present. So I, I'm uh, excited for people to hear it. Yeah.
1: Yep. Let's check
0: it out. Hey Rumcasters, if you love rum like we do, there are six simple but meaningful words that are likely to get your attention. Single barrel, cask strength, no additives. Those six words are the whole premise behind the single cask rum releases from Holmes Key, the sponsor for this episode of the Rumcast. Holmes Key seeks out the world's best rums and releases them unadulterated and at cask strength in limited editions. Check out their website at homeskey.com to learn about current releases distilled at places like Foursquare in Barbados, Demerara Distillers in Guyana, Travelers Liquors in Belize, and South Pacific Distilleries in Fiji. And be sure to look out for new releases of limited editions that are releasing soon in 2021. Find them at Homeskey. That's H-O-L-M-E-S-C-A-Y.com. Now back to the show.
1: All right. So we are here with Christelle Harris. I think John and I were both in agreement before you jumped on Christelle. I think the perception is of you as being one of the hardest working people in rum always, you know, at different festivals, traveling around a lot, obviously that's probably different right now. Um, you're working on a lot of different things. Um, I think I'm correct in saying that Hampton is not the only thing you're focused on, but what's, what's keeping you busy these days?
2: Um, lot yeah (laughs) Hamden is you Hamdan is not usually the only thing that I'm focused on um although in pre-covid times uh I did manage to keep that focus a little bit more because of the requirements of like traveling Mm -hmm. um understanding the oh hi grandma (laughs) don't worry this is only audio recorded just freaking out. Uh, she has in her curlers. She's adorable. Um, so yeah, because I because I understand the importance of being at the shows, and even though you know I have a really strong um, international distribution partner,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, I think that without tooting my own horn, of course, um, I think that there is importance um, for the brand owner to be there if possible uh if there's that if that interest is there from the brand owner, which there is.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I think the rum loving public likes to see that and likes to be able to be given the opportunity to interact with. Um although La Maison and Velier they're excellent ambassadors, sure. um it's not the only product in their for- we are not the only distilleries products in their portfolio. So I think that when when they see us, I think it means a lot. So I do try to get to as many shows as I possibly can. But as you asked, what's my focus? Otherwise, I'm not able to get to all the shows I like to and to be able to travel as much as I can nonstop because... Mm-hmm. No, it's not because I have kids and a husband at home, but because I am um, very heavily invested personally in the family businesses, which span from um, hospitality to retail, to dry cleaning. Dry um, cleaning.
1: I didn't know that yeah, one. That,
2: that was the first one, actually. I'm not oh, wow. too involved in that at all. Okay. Um, like I review the numbers at the end of the month, but I don't really ever have much to say about it except for, you know, how about doing this promotion at this branch? It's, it's yeah. really not very time consuming, but my dad actually. So my dad and my grandfather, they started they started that business in, I think, 1980. Okay. Um, they had migrated to the States at the time when the family had all migrated to the States at the time when there was this mass migration out of Jamaica when I think the government of Jamaica was very close with the, with Fidel Castro, and mm. there was this threat yeah. of, of socialism. So anybody who could leave left. My family did, but they didn't survive very long in the States because you kind of had to leave with nothing. So they tried, but didn't work out. They came Hard. back three years later. All good, because if we didn't come back, you wouldn't be having Hamden estate, Rob, would you?
3: <laughs> I know. Yes. <laughs> I,
1: I. So... Um... Yeah, I, I'm. I'm happy that that happened. Although you know, it sounds like the circumstances were a little difficult, but in the end, yeah. it seems like we're all benefiting now.
2: Mm-hmm. I think so. Well, I wasn't alive at the time, so I only hear the story. <laughs> um, luckily, I'm slightly dramatic, so I can <laughs> I can pass on some um, you know very difficult times. So anyhow, the they they established Super Cleaners Dry Cleaners in 1980, and that was the first business before that really kind of started them into. The field of entrepreneurialism. Before that, mm-hmm. my grandmother was a seamstress. She made multiple wedding dresses for prime ministers' wives, and she and made. This is Michael the grandmother
1: you're with right now.
2: The one who just walked past in her bonnet. Um, so she was a seamstress. She had a company called Ruth Fashions, and it was the first. Um, it was the first dressmaker in Jamaica to actually have air conditioning in the sewing room because Ooh. she thought it was important not to get the oils and sweat from anybody's hands onto the garments. I
3: right. can't
1: imagine as doing kind that of person- kind of work in a non-air-conditioned environment in Jamaica well,
2: in it's that climate, up. yeah. So, um, that's the kind of detail and work ethic that if that says anything, you know what I mean? That's yeah. the kind of work ethic that I've grown up um as a part of um, and then my grandfather, who passed away uh, almost 10 years ago, coming up in May, before any of that, he was a farmer. Actually, last night, um, my grandma had a dinner party because it was a, it would have been the t- the ninth, their ninth wedding anniversary that she hasn't celebrated with him oh. because and she's always mourning. But yeah. for the first time, she actually decided to be able to celebrate it or have a dinner in remembrance of him. So that That's was so nice. So we were reminiscing yeah. about stories that he used to tell. But when he was a young man and he was a rice farmer, his father was also a farmer.
1: Rice? I, I was going I to promise. ask what, what, what he focused on. I didn't realize I that rice this, was...
2: This all has... This all feeds into the rum story. We're, we're so going to
1: tie it all together, yeah.
2: There's reason <laughs> for, the, for, the, for the you know, lengthy backstory. So his father was, is said to have been one of the first men to pasteurize milk in Jamaica. He was a dairy farmer, wow. um, amongst other small crops. Now, my grandfather, he had some illnesses in his early teens, which forced him out of school. And his father got him a job at Money Musk Sugar Estate when okay. he was 16. When he was fifteen when he was sixteen years old he became he was so advanced and obviously organized and had the work i think that he became the time ke- timekeeper time keeper for the entire estate and at that what time we didn't is have
1: timekeepers i mean but
2: well it's basically the now you have a you know you have a clock that reads the eye to tell you that you that your staff has punched in and they're clocking out okay. and they're clocking in and clocking out Gotcha. But he was doing the timekeeping for, for all the staff on estate by the time he was 16. without a stressful. Without a, calcu- without a calculator. Yikes. Anyhow, so he, um, by the time he was about 19, he became a rice farmer. And I'll give you this short story because it was said last night and I thought it was very cute. Yeah. Um, he took his first savings and he bought a, a Zephyr. A car, and he used to drive it so fast that they would go. The police went to his father and said, Jose, you have to tell your son to to, you have to take that car away from your son." And he said, "I can't take it away from him. He took his rice money and bought it." (laughs)
3: So he bought
2: that car with
1: rice money. Yeah.
2: Yes, I don't know if it was actually nineteen at the time because I remember hearing stories also about him riding horseback and that they would drink rum. And drink so much rum that he would just get on the horse, and the horse would take him home. He wouldn't be in the horse anywhere.
1: When when I so. when I drink too much rum, I often <laughs> trade in the car for the horse if I need to go somewhere. So well, it it's would. A, it's the uh, I, I thing don't. Do. I
2: don't have a horse. If I had a horse, I'd be able to do that much more often rather than have a driver. Actually, <laughs> that's, that's a, great a very good image. point. <laughs> Perhaps we need we need to all invest in horses. In horses, <laughs> with our run. So
3: we actually
2: we actually do have a horse breeding facility at Hamden because my grandparents Naturally. were also. We're <laughs> also into horse racing. We're the first family of racing in Jamaica. Oh wow! Um, ah. But since his passing, we've uh, we've come out of racing. My uncle was a jockey. Um, he's retired from racing. He retired some twelve years ago. My other uncle was a trainer. Um, prior to my grandfather being an owner, along with my grandmother, he was a trainer and his father was a trainer. Wow. So we're really into, yeah, it's actually a horse racing family. Um, so
1: the horse oh, racing horse, family, yeah. dry cleaners, farming, rum, hospitality. You are
0: busy.
2: Oh, and gaming. <laughs> so gaming, gaming. I'm not going to sleep on gaming because gaming, um, casino gaming, but not, not with live coupes. Oh. Cause that's not allowed in Jamaica. Um, gaming, I won't go into too much, but I will put a feather. Well, I I will give it its credit because without the revenue from gaming, many of the businesses that we are currently still in, we wouldn't have been able to be in because gaming, the profits of the gaming have very much subsidized a lot of the businesses. Um, we wouldn't have needed that if it wasn't for the losses that we have incurred being a part of the sugar industry. The Long Pond Sugar Factory. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Not Long Pond. Yeah, Long Pond Sugar Factory. Sorry. Not the
1: distillery. Um,
2: Not the distillery. Exactly. That's a very good distinction to to make um, from you. Thank you. Um, If it had not been for the losses incurred by the Long Pond Sugar Factory, financial difficulties or questions or insecurities would never have come into our foray but because of the losses incurred in the sugar factory we also have the prize of hamden estates which because both Mm. of those entities were acquired at the same time right um as a part of the same divestment from the government from the government Mm -hmm. so you know some people will say oh gosh why did this have to happen this was the worst decision that we made i i I'm not saying that that's what we say, but some people would say that. Right. Um, when you make the decision to go into a business that basically is just a bottomless pit in terms of what you throw your money into, but
1: and you're referring to the sugar business. I'm referring to be, the yeah. sugar
2: to the sugar business, just mm-hmm. because um, I think, really, without going into too much detail, we inherited, a, not inherited, we we bid on and we 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 claimed ownership of and tried to bring life uh, renaissance to a factory that was 200 years old Mm -hmm. that was being band-aided up by whoever was responsible for it at whatever point in time and come on it's like a car if you don't service it if you don't put in new equipment if you don't i mean it's going to run down so after 200 years of of just really band-aiding up and then a little bit of paint every now and then it looks like it's going to be okay but your projections don't end up. Um, your projections mm-hmm. are, are end up being a lot more. It's a lot more lucrative on paper once you get down to the basics of it. Once you realize what needs replacing and you're planning on putting six million US into an entity where you end up having to shut it down after putting in over twenty. Oh
3: wow! So mm-hmm.
2: of course that comes with a lot of criticism and speculation, and they should do this and they should do that. Well, you know what? We thought we could do it, and we can't. So unfortunately we've had to um we've we've had to deal with the repercussions of that, of, of, of making the very difficult decision to close it down. But I don't think that the the other businesses' successes were dependent on that very difficult decision.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And of course, who wants to lay off workers? Who wants to send people home? Certainly not me, certainly yeah. not us.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But um uh, I think it was done in the best way that we possibly could have. And we, we delayed it as long as we could have. We, it's like, you know, when, you know, you should have done something a long time ago, mm. but you just you, you did everything that you could to try and hold everything together. But after a while, you have to cut your losses, right? Eh?
1: It's always hard I think, so, to find that point of, you know, when when to to move on when you're trying to to save something, invest more in it and everything. Right. So um, I'm glad I'm glad that you brought all that up. I, that's really good background, because, you know, from from what I've read from the the times I've heard you talk about the story my understanding is when you bid when you made that bid uh and you got the long pond sugar factory hampton was part of it but it was kind of like not like hampton wasn't the reason you were going for it it was just kind of like this rum distillery thrown in and i've I've been curious to to ask what like so your family gets hampton at what point do you make the decision to become so involved with the distillery and, you know, beginning the the path to where you are now with it? Was it something that you decided right away? Or was it like, oh, we have this thing. This is kind of interesting. Maybe I should try mm-hmm. something here. Like, what what was that process like?
2: Well, for me, okay, so I was living in L.A. at the time. I was okay. an actress. Can't you tell? Just kidding. Um- <laughs> <laughs> we,
1: I, I think um, John's, John's got some acting-related questions maybe saved oh, for later. I won't reveal yeah. too yeah. much.
2: Do we do so our research, oh, Chriselle. We <laughs> Better.
1: we do our homework we yeah we got okay. you
2: well anyhow i will be as truthful as i can possibly without implicating <laughs> myself um <laughs> um so i kept my clothes on though i just like to say inaccurate. noted
1: noted okay thank you very, very much <laughs>
2: needed that um <laughs> so we had no idea what Hamden was mm-hmm. at least i don't know maybe my grandfather did at the time um my uncle who was a part of the kind of really encouraging, uh, encouraging the rest of the family that this all can work. I think he might mm-hmm. have known what Hamden was, but for the most part, you just thought it was a distillery. Like Jamaicans, it's changed a little bit recently, and perhaps mm-hmm. I, don't even, I don't even know how much it's really changed. But for me, my, my understanding and my, my perception of it now is, is that we're a little bit more educated okay. as to what happens in Jamaica. But generally speaking, even now, a lot of Jamaicans don't know anything more about rum than Appleton and Ray and Nephew. And I would mm-hmm. say like Charlie's JB, which is another Ray and Nephew-owned product. And, you know, the, the, the famed John Batty, which is not a bottled product, but a black market product historically. Right.
1: It's kind of the inspiration so, for Rumfire, if I remember
3: correctly.
2: Um, yeah, I would say so. But at the time, we were kind of just using... Information that we knew, not necessarily like we know a lot more now that would right. have colored our decisions at that time. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I suppose so. Actually, there were a lot of misconceptions I think about the word john and what that meant to whom that perhaps colored our decisions about the birth of Rumfire and about the branding of Rumphire and so what, on. What were
1: the What were some of the misconceptions?
2: Um. I mean, there's there are multiple interpretations of what junkerbati were at the time. I okay. think the junkro junkerbati could speak. It could be the actual behind or but. But I, I don't know what I can say. Can I say things? You here? can
1: say ass if that's what you're <laughs> okay.
2: Reaching like the for. ass of the junkro, <laughs> and the junkro is what feed. Uh, junkro feed is like a vulture. They feed right. on dead on dead carcasses. Mm-hmm. So it was that it smelled like a john crow um Uh, it was that it came out of a john crow
3: okay um
2: there i don't think that anybody really thought too much about what exactly that meant
1: didn't have a precise definition
2: Um, no i don't think so yeah Mm. um rather than just kind of this uh folkloric Um, It's a folkloric element or phrase used to describe some sort of rum that is harsh, that is potent, that is strong, Mm -hmm. that is, you have to, you know, it will grow hair on your chest. That was the perception kind of thing. Kind of like a, Um, it
1: almost reminds me of like kind of moonshine moonshine. in
2: America. Yeah, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, me personally, I was in LA at the time. My grandfather was ill. So I was a little bit. I was kind of back and forth, and before making, I didn't make the decision to come home, but I came home to try and help him get better. But okay. so he didn't. Uh-huh. He actually passed away. That I came home in the March two thousand and eleven, and he passed away in the May. So at that point in time, Rumfire had already been born. Okay. Um, the divestment happened. It it was signed in July two thousand and nine, mm-hmm. and by two thousand and ten. The first, my mother was working at the distillery. She was staying at a hotel close by to the distillery. At the time, the great house wasn't always, we didn't have ownership of it, so we, we weren't staying there. Okay. Um, I was in LA. Grandpa was ill. Um, we decided to bottle this product. At the time, Diageo Jamaica was distributing our product locally, and they're the ones who led the branding exercise
1: for Rumfire with,
2: with us for okay. Runfire. There were a bunch of names and associations and imagery on the table, but that's what they um, eventually—that's what we eventually decided on collectively as the strongest.
1: Okay. Hmm. So you seemed like you seemed like maybe you weren't on board with that decision.
2: Um, no, at the time I didn't have any—I didn't have any uh, objections because I didn't understand the beverage industry. Um, Nobody in the family did, but Diageo did. Mm -hmm. So you know, anyhow. I will leave the rest of that to open to interpretation without making any further comments. Um, so it, uh, the the story of Rumpfire actually does have a nice story. It's, it has a nice story tied into it, but I'll get back to that later. Um, so it's, it's not a total fail as far as I'm concerned, because it does pay homage to a Jamaican practice in, in Rome, but still it, it could have been a better thought out, um, Branding exercise. Anyway, <laughs> I said I wasn't saying anymore. You see, I ramble too much. Yeah. Anyhow, um so I was not here at the time when I came back to help my, my grandfather get better. the Ronfire was already on the market. Diageo had said that they would move eight thousand cases for the for the first year. Mm. I think they had moved like three thousand okay. if they were lucky, and they had given away a lot of it too. So. The marketing budget was 50% spent with just the launch exercise. Oh, wow. The launch, literally the launch day, mm. which was held at Hamden. So, you know, it there was like a lot. It was just a lot. And we didn't understand anything about yeah. it. Yeah, right. It was a business that every business that we'd ever gone into, we went into on our own without any partnership from anybody. And we figured it out as we went along because my family wasn't necessarily educated. Nobody went to university. You know, my mom went to community college Hmm. and she, between she and my grandfather, they really did a lot of the, the, the work, Mm -hmm. the the heavy lifting. It's
1: like a lot of learning by doing. Yeah.
2: Oh yes. School of hard Um, knocks. (laughs) Oh yes. (laughs) And so at the time when I came back, I didn't, nobody said to me, Crystal, you have to leave LA. Okay. Nobody said, Crystal, you have to work. Mm Mm-hmm. I was living a very privileged life. I was living in Los Angeles. All my friends were, um, you know, had two and three jobs. Meanwhile, I was at acting school and I was just doing extra classes. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have to be working. Yes, I still participated in the phone calls to do a family business at home and so on. But I was living a very privileged life. And if I wanted to, I, I really could have continued to do that.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: But I've been working since I was eight with my family. So when I saw them go into this business that I could see, for the first time, they were kind of struggling getting their footing in because Mm. it wasn't something that we could just make work. It was competition unlike anything that we'd seen before. It wasn't like the gaming industry where we were the first ones to really kind of bring it to life in Jamaica. Um, Nothing like that. So I saw them struggling, then we were hit with the immense loss of my grandfather that really was the, the quiet leader. He was a quiet giant of everything.
3: Hmm.
2: My mom's best friend, my grandmother's everything. They had been together since they were... Thir- they, he, he had started courting her when she was 13. Wow. They were married when she was... 17 she keeps saying 18 and i'm like grandma your math is wrong anyway um she doesn't want to see him like she was a child bride, but they were courting for four years what do you want You're the
1: family history fact checker on top of all the other all the other jobs
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes of course i don't mind i've been doing that for a long time um so i saw them you know not that I knew any better. Yes, I I was the first person in my family to actually go to university and mm-hmm. graduate from university. I went to University of Toronto, but I didn't study business because I am terrible at math on paper.
3: <laughs> and here.
2: Me uh, too. I, yeah, I, I, too. I'm I'm terrified of rejection. Of course, I've worked on it. I'm almost forty. I've done some okay, self care well, work. Okay. Do, but, being
1: an actor will will push that yes, your rejection you out of you, so. right?
2: Yeah. Exactly. But at the time when I was applying to university, I was so terrified of rejection from business school because my grades wouldn't have been high enough, I don't uh, think, even yeah. though I was an all I was an all-rounded student. Like I did everything. Mm-hmm. I was in the revolver club, I was in the drama club. I, I, What's the revolver at, club? Um I I used to shoot.
0: <laughs> oh wow. Ah, so it's revolver revolver. Yeah.
2: <laughs> revolver revolver. Um So I was definitely an all-rounder, but academically, I was (laughs) just, I I suppose so. Yeah. But academically, I wasn't, you know, I didn't, I never excelled at anything. Hmm. I was kind of a jack of all trades, Jenny Mm -hmm. of all trades. Mm
3: -hmm. So
2: at the time when I came home to get back to that, I just decided, you know, it's time to pack up. um, So
1: like you you need to be there kind of stuff
2: together and be here to help support your family. In any way, shape, or form that you can. At the time, Rumfire had already come on the market. There was somebody who uh, was a family friend who had extensive experience in having very high positions, executive positions with airlines, and so on and so forth. Okay. And he was managing the the Rum brand. And I just said, you know, this is not a good fit. Um, he doesn't really understand. I remember at the time, this was a local brand. There was really no, right. you know, there there wasn't any plan of taking it overseas. Mm-hmm. There was no plan for expansion as such. Yes, my grandfather, before he passed away, had said, well, if the if the bulk rum does so well on the international market, if it's priced so high per mm-hmm. unit in comparison to everything else, then it makes sense to put it in barrels. So let's start barreling. So we did that and we had it sitting down, but there was no concrete plan of what to do with it.
1: Thank you, um, by the way, for at least, you know, making that decision, because now we're getting all the benefits from it. <laughs> well,
2: my grand that was my grandpa's decision, so I, I think anybody who's in the know um, thinks of him fondly for that. So, um, yeah, I just said, you know, I don't think this is a very good fit, although I know nothing about the beverage industry. Um, I certainly understand Jamaican people very well, mm. although... Generally speaking, people who don't know me in Jamaica when they look at me, they might think I'm actually a foreigner or they might think I'm not very connected to the ground. That's, that could not be further from the truth. I, I've grown up with I've, I've grown up in a very diverse setting. Diversity has always kind of been the foundation of my life. Um, when I was in school in Jamaica, before I went away to boarding school uh, at 14, I grew up in school in Jamaica and I, I didn't understand race. Hmm. I didn't understand color. Yes, of course I looked in the mirror and saw myself as sure. Caucasian, but I didn't understand how that set me apart from other people. Now I understand the privilege that comes along with that. Yeah. The inherent privilege or, you know, the the unspoken privilege. Now thank God we're actually talking about it. Right, right, right. Um as a society both locally and internationally, but at the time I was like, "Well, what 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 does it matter?" they're they're black and i'm white and i actually just saw myself as the same as everyone else
1: right because you're all jamaicans kind of
2: nobody nobody treated me any differently either in school growing up um yeah they used to call me whitey but it wasn't a it wasn't a they weren't mocking me it wasn't it wasn't even playful it was just my terminology Hmm. um in jamaica and the same way any any girls because I went to an all-girls school here, any girls that were that looked Chinese or they looked like they were mixed with Chinese, their mm. name was Miss Chin.
3: Oh. Wow. Simple.
2: Um my mother does not look Chinese, but because she was always working in the retail trade with um a lot of cash and she used to deal with the cash before it went to the bank. Mm. She always had elastic bands around her hand. And in Jamaica, you associate that with the people who own the wholesales and the wholesale owners are the Chinese immigrants
3: um, and the,
2: the, those who are now Jamaican Chinese who were descendants of Chinese immigrants. So even my mother, as a result of having rubber bands around her wrist all the time, wow. her nickname was Miss Chin too. Wow. <laughs> Go figure. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of nicknames were used um, based on race, but it was never something that divided people.
3: Yeah, so it's like I when you up,
2: when
1: you say the the Mrs. Chin thing, I think as an American, yeah. it almost makes me feel like oh oh wow, you know, like uh,
2: yeah, because yeah. it is it is internationally it would be deemed as racist. Mm-hmm. In Jamaica, it was just an identifier, but because the majority of people are black, you don't go calling somebody "Hi, Miss Black" or "Miss Black." That's I it would be it. stupid so- because. Because it's it's you know, if there are forty people They're in a room, the chances outliers. are right. exactly chances are there's going to be a couple of Caucasians, a couple of yeah. Chinese, a couple of Indians. Mm-hmm. So that's it was more of an identifier. So as such, even though I was identified that way, I never felt outcast and mm-hmm. it was all Jamaica's motto is out of many one people, okay? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I grew up in a, in a in a society where I felt like I was just a part of everybody else, and we were all stood together. We held hands at assembly, you know. The things that are the the, the I, I don't think growing up I was privy to, um, or I, I I had issues with race, and even my friends from no matter where they came from, um, I would say we have issues with race more now then because we're a part of international society globalization mm. so the you know the ability for everybody to access social media
3: yeah so yeah. and i'm
2: not saying that the problems don't exist in sure. jamaica i'm just saying they weren't as prevalent when i was growing up mm-hmm. so um Anyhow, back to Rome. I'm sorry, I, I go off on so many things. Oh, yeah, this I'm is what we're here for. We want, <laughs> we want the,
1: we want the long story. It's great.
2: Yes,
0: this is the raw and unfiltered Christelle.
2: <laughs> I suppose. Very I have a, wrong, a feeling raw and unfiltered,
0: unfiltered Christelle is everywhere, though, right? That's I just,
2: have a feeling. It's just I your general. No, yeah, my mouth. <laughs>
0: default I, my setting. Mouth
2: yeah, my mouth doesn't really belong to me. It's, it belongs <laughs> to my head. Anyhow, so um. Where were we with that? You see, I go off on these. So you're
1: you're, you're coming in. There's someone who's in charge of the Rumfire brand who you right. feel like isn't so really a I good understood. fit. Right.
2: I understood. I felt like I understood the public, and that somehow right. gave me, you know, put me in a position where I should be managing this. Uh-huh. Well, it took me a very long time to understand anything about <laughs> beverage industry. Uh huh. Um. Longer story short, I started looking at because in Jamaica, a lot of the times we're very trendy. We follow trends. Okay. And uh, Appleton and nephew Nephi were, were the only things anybody knew. To try mm-hmm. and convince them that there's another distillery in Jamaica mm-hmm. is like that, that it would cost so much money. So I started looking at what was happening overseas because Jamaicans will gravitate towards something if it is that it has been accepted and if it is being celebrated overseas. Mm-hmm. Okay, so like Long international before trends...
1: Before
0: Miami's kind of like that too, Crystal. I I feel that here also in South Florida. Yeah. Oh,
2: I agree with you. Well, half of South Florida is Jamaican. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh... So, um, with that, I started looking at what was happening globally and I was like, oh, rum festival, UK, rum fest. What is this? (laughs) And then there's a rum festival in Berlin for the first time. Mm. What is this? So, I reached out to them. I entered the Ministry of Rum competition where we got a silver medal, and I was like jumping up and down the hotel because my office is at the hotel. <laughs> right, I had told it we work in hospitality. We own a boutique hotel yeah, in Kingston. Yeah, yeah. So, entered Ministry of Rum, got silver medal. Somehow felt like, oh well, this means that it actually is good. Yeah. But the people weren't lying to us. Yeah, confidence
0: so, booster. Yeah,
2: it was a confidence booster. I then, and so I, I said, let me let me invest in, you know, having a booth at the UK Rum Fest and the um, Rum Festival Berlin. It was their first year, so I went to Rum Festival Berlin. That was kind of cool because they had sent me um templates for my artwork for my booth because um. all the booths were going to be pretty much the same. With the exception of the bigger companies that are doing larger you yeah, know, yeah. larger mm-hmm. exhibitions. So I was like, oh, this is cool. I have my stuff. And my uncle's wife, she she she's a paper mache artist. She had done
1: artist. Wow. Yes. Wow. <laughs> uh,
2: She's an artist, but that was one of the things that it's, she was working with at yeah. the time. So she had done a paper mache version of the pot still. Have then? That's
3: so cool. Because we had
2: we had learned that oh, these pot stills are not used in all rum distilleries. Like literally, I knew nothing about rum. This isn't normal. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is. We've been told that these things that we have that distill the rum are somehow different other distilleries. Yeah. Yeah. So I said, okay. So she did this paper mache, and I had this trunk suitcase for my mother. And it fit in the trunk suitcase with styrofoam. I, I had it packed really well. I anyway, imagine so trying I...
1: to pack paper mache for an overseas trip. I would feel like so yeah. nervous.
2: It, exactly. I know. I've, I was pretty nervous. But anyhow, so I logged my three suitcases, one of which was with this paper mache pot still. <laughs>
3: oh, my goodness. And
2: the rest of which was with like... 75 outfits because <laughs> i was very much the fashionista at the time and uh-huh. of course traveling to places like yeah. berlin and london hello yeah i have to look good right. priorities people of course clearly guys this is a long <laughs> time ago my, my priorities have changed okay my wife, always <laughs>
1: says, my wife always says she needs like options you know when but we're traveling i used, I, so.
2: used to, I used to do that i now travel with one pair of boots and my running shoes that I wear on the plane. Okay. So my priorities have changed slightly. <laughs> now it's like half a suitcase for three weeks of clothes and one and a half suitcases of promo items and like pamphlets, you know? Less paper so, mache <laughs> these days. Yeah. Less paper mache. You have um, to wonder
0: what customs would have been like.
3: I know, what is yeah. this? Well, Ma'am, what they, is you this, know, uh, they did. <laughs> I,
2: I, often got, um, I often got pulled over. Like, what are you doing? I I sell rum. I sell rum for a living, and this is what this is a this is a small version of what our rum. So of course, every airport, they had one customs officer who got the full breakdown of my understanding of rum at that point. (laughs) So so I went to Berlin and UK rum fest. My mom was there with me, and boy was that an eye opener. I became a bartender. Because I did not hire a bartender to help uh, me at my booth,
3: okay. mm-hmm. I got
2: one last minute. But at the same time, I had never been to a rum show before, so I didn't know what to expect. I, what, was, what
1: was your like? Was it like okay? I need to learn like a daiquiri. Like what was the crash? Yeah, so we course?
2: did um, we did a daiquiri and an espresso martini. It was Kalua cold pressed coffee and. Um, rum fire with a little bit of simple syrup and then mm. the other one was just a, a straight a, a traditional daiquiri, wow. just a simple rum fire espresso
1: martini mm. yeah that would it's be actually really good you yeah. must try
2: it today like when we finish uh, so like, good morning to Actually, you. Actually, that
1: would have yeah. It's nine forty-two, so that would have been the. Per- I was trying to figure out a way to like drink Hampton right now and espresso martini. Within, there you go. Uh,
2: in- instead of a, you know, if you really want to, just take it easy and not feel guilty about the fact that you're drinking like <laughs> high end rum in the first thing in the morning. Just use a half an ounce. You know, start slow, right, because you touch. know you're going to want another one. Right, so. Exactly.
0: Can't drink all day if you don't start in the morning.
2: <laughs>
3: That's true. Oh my goodness,
2: that is so true. So the second one was a daiquiri, just simple syrup, um, lime, and rum fire. And to tell you how how unexposed I was, I didn't know how simple syrup was made. I didn't Everyone know that a daiquiri. Learn. Everybody has to learn. I didn't know that a daiquiri was not a frozen drink um, that was strawberry flavored because right. in Jamaica mm. that's what a daiquiri is.
1: Mm-hmm. That that like was my, much... like, I remembered as a kid going to uh, Applebee's restaurants with my parents and sometimes mm. my mom <laughs> would get a strawberry daiquiri and, yeah, mm-hmm. the, you know, neon so, red, slushy type. Right. Absolutely.
2: Thank so God that, we all you know, saw the light. We saw the light eventually there. We are now here to preach the gospel. Yes. Um. So that was my baptism by fire. Um,
1: by rum fire
2: by a rum file. I know I (laughs) should I should have picked you. You shouldn't have had to throw that in there. I should have done it.
1: John's watching out for all the like dad joke type material. (laughs) Thank you. Yes, I
2: realize. Um, And then I went to UK Rum Fest where Ian became a lifesaver. I mean, he was just so great.
3: Ian Burrell.
2: Yeah, yeah, Ian Burrell. uh, There were some people that were there that year who I had just met who were so supportive of me and i felt like i was having a nervous breakdown every second of the day you i didn't have a was, bartender <laughs> was
1: that was that like people like ian i'm assuming they had some knowledge of hampton and kind of seeing it for the first time do you think that was part of you know other than your charming personality of course do you think that's part <laughs> of what drew them to like wanting to you know help as much as they could
2: that the rum industry is full of some very good people
1: absolutely we
2: are saying that all the time yes you know whether it's hamden or not um it could be a liquid in a bottle that's calling itself rum that's laced with sugar Mm -hmm. yes there will be certain people in the room who are going to scoff at it and say they shouldn't be calling it rum they should be calling it flavored Rum-derived liquid, but right. but but generally speaking, um, I I think it's a safe space, and there are just so many people that are that want everybody to do well.
3: Mm, right. So I think, the sense really, that I, get I think it was I think it was more of that. Yeah. I don't know if
2: it was me charming. I, I Yes, I think I was very charming and, and quite cute at the time, <laughs> definitely. Um, but I don't know how much that actually bared import like how much importance there was on that. Uh-huh. Uh, I just think they wanted to see people do well. And I think they might have been a little sorry for me because they knew <laughs> they could see how inexperienced I was and that right. I had never, like... I had been been to trade shows before Mm -hmm. when I used to go to Vegas with my mom to buy goods for our retail pharmacies since I was 16. But I'd never actually like been to a beverage show or a food show where I looked at what the exhibition stands were like. I certainly wasn't expecting a few thousand people Um, and a few thousand people coming to my booth. For one day, I'm,
1: yeah, I'm sure it'd be
0: overwhelming.
2: Samples, yeah. So, but it's I an mean, interesting
0: my... thing, right? Because Ian and I'm sure others also recognize they 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 see that you're you're here and you're doing your best with with just learning this, but they also probably recognize in the rum those qualities. And Ian, you know, loves yeah. Jamaican rum. He talks about it all the time. And and I'm sure they were thinking, "Gosh, th- there's something here, and we've all yeah. got to pitch in and 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 help get this off." Yeah, the I think so. Yeah, rum fire yeah, doesn't exactly. come around every day right
2: (laughs) so that being said though um you know i couldn't find distribution Mm -hmm. in the uk uh i went with somebody who wasn't really fully accredited Mm. um i learned the hard way i was told to rebrand it Mm. we rebranded it it was not it it was just we didn't deal with it the right way um i shipped it out in bulk it was bottled in the uk i didn't realize we're gonna have to pay duty and storage on everything i thought i don't know i just didn't really i didn't really look into it i wasn't as savvy of a businesswoman as i thought at the time um i didn't i didn't realize that i would have to pay so much to just like move around no it it was nuts but so, yet again
0: that's a testament to the product itself, right? Because you were able to work through all that and yet here we are.
2: Here we, we are. Yeah. With the US, I had someone who I had met, who I'm sure many of us know, uh Nick Ferris. Um right. he who's a pharmacist, Dr. Mm-hmm. Nick Ferris. He I didn't is a, he was a pharmacist. <laughs> yes, and his actual title is doctor, so oh. If you're ever writing him, you have to Dr. call him Doctor Ferris. He he's he's not very uh, strict about that, but <laughs> I like to I like to remind people to do it.
1: <laughs> yeah, anytime you so, know someone who you can call Doctor, it's just kind of fun, you know. I know it's Dr. like it,
2: it it also reinforces like how strong our circle is.
1: It makes know? me feel more special, <laughs> oh, right? Yeah, like <laughs> you know? my friend is a doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know.
2: So, I I, I use it every opportunity I get. Um, So Nick had, I met him, I forget where I met him, he would remember, but he was one of the first people that I met in the U.S. market space, Um, probably at the Miami Rum Renaissance Festival, I believe, Mm -hmm. my first one.
1: That's actually where Um, John and
2: I met. Yep. Yeah. So I think a lot of us met, you know, for the the southern communities of the Mm -hmm. United States. Uh So Nick fell in love with Rome File and... He has such an extensive knowledge of rum. And he said to me, he's like, I want to import rum. But I'm like, you're not an importer. You're a pharmacist. Like, You have a rum club. Get out and of here. And knowing what I had known. I, oh, look at grandma behind me. She's so Hello. cute. Hi,
0: grandma. Hi, grandma.
2: We're saying hi, but I have hi. an earphones. So. Hi. But this is being recorded for audio, though, so nobody afterwards is going to see you. Okay. They're only going to hear you. Okay. 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 So you can say hi to the whole ROM community. Hi to everyone.
0: Hello. <laughs> We've heard a lot
1: about you, you can tell yeah.
0: her. We've
2: heard a lot about you, they say. But they can't see me now. Yes, they can. Oh, oh, we, we can see you. <laughs> okay, What's your grandma? Doesn't she, look? she looks pretty. Yeah, I would not have guessed she was your grandmother. She has a phone call. Okay. She can't talk to us okay. anymore. Yes.
0: <laughs> She's busy as well.
2: She's always busy.
1: I'm glad she stopped by. Yes.
2: I'm glad she stopped by. Too. I love it when she can be a part of things. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Where was I before? Grant, you see, I I'm like we're talking a squirrel. About,
1: we're talking about rum fire and getting into the U.S. Yes. So yeah. Nick,
2: um, Nick. he said to Dr. me, that I want I. Yes, Dr. Nick Ferris. Like, I want rum fire. And I'm like, well, I can send you some, but I don't have an importer. <laughs> At the time, I actually did get an importer. They were interested in niche products. But after about a year, I realized that their niche products were like Eastern European products, like vodka that was in mm. a glass bottle that was shaped like a rifle. Like, that was their kind of <laughs> product and it's very they specific only, yeah i think he really <laughs> did business with the revolver stuff. yeah maybe a revolver, <laughs> exactly. cool. a revolver would have been revolver
1: would have been better <sighs> oh that's goodness, a marketing that idea for you been. by the way some Boom. sort of oh, limited yeah, edition no. revolver, revolver shaped no. rum fire no. Rum. bottle no
2: yeah. you just lost like so many <laughs> brownie points <though. laughs> You are uninvited. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> um yeah, so this import, so I I realized after about a year what a terrible decision I had made. Um, I couldn't get paid from them. And That's not good. of course, going into it, I'm like, I feel so happy because somebody wants my product, so I'll give it to you on credit. Mm. Well, don't do that. Anybody <laughs> listening? Money if you're up front. an entrepreneur. Do not ever give credit. Believe in your products, even when nobody else does. Understand that what you have is valuable to somebody. You have to find the right partnerships.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, do not ever make anybody make you feel like what you have is not worthy. So that's especially my, if my what goal. you have
1: is run by her. That's right.
2: Right? If, if yes. you know. Yeah. If Well, first of all, if you don't know and if you don't have that, if you don't have that belief in your product, then sell don't start else. with something right. new. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Find something else to sell.
0: Rum um, Business 101. Christelle, this is it. This is your school course. is in session. That's day one. So,
2: <laughs> believe in it, guys. And... Um, find your right partnerships never make anybody make you feel like you you you, your product doesn't deserve the attention that you know it does of course unless you're a delusional person then you just (laughs) shouldn't be there's no
1: saving yeah
2: (laughs) so um or if you add a lot of sugar and still call it wrong (laughs) i'm sorry i'm not going to t- i'm not going to make any low blows today i promise myself so just that one just that one well <laughs> i i didn't it slipped out
0: that's right right that it, was doesn't al- count that doesn't count no yeah. that was my alternate
2: personality so i take no responsibility for the comment does, that, does is back.
1: alternate personality have a name
2: no, she doesn't have a name right are now. Are we talking to her still right now? <laughs> no, no, you are talking to Krista. Harris. Okay. <laughs> if I do make any more comments as such though, it would be her, not me. Okay. So um Yeah, so after a while, um I got it well, I just I wrote off what I couldn't get paid. Okay. It wasn't a substantial amount of money in retrospect, but at the time it was Anything was substantial to yeah. me because I was responsible for it because mm-hmm. I made that decision. Right. So without trying to be too hard on myself, I wrote it off eventually because I realized after about two years, I ain't getting that money back. I can't get in touch with anybody. Let me close this door. I can't get in touch with anybody and I can't get my money. So eventually I started having discussions with Nick Ferris. Um, I said, you know, you say you're interested what's your reach like because by that point in time i realized that he he was respected by a lot of people within the trade mm-hmm. especially the on trade which is where for for rum Fire to be successful that's where we needed to focus our attention right so we started having a discussion and long story short he registered an importation company he said he was still going to be a pharmacist um I told him that if he needed to expand his portfolio, he could, you know, for economies of scale to make it work for him. Sure. Um, as long as we, he kept everything transparent with me. And long story short, he's been my importance of a rum file into the United States for a few years That's
1: now. That's so cool. Yeah, I and love that. It's no small pill. task to just become an importer, right?
2: Yes, it's no, and he has invested a lot of yeah. blood, sweat, and tears, and obviously money into it. I'm proud of how he represents the brand. He, his reach is limited because he's a one man band. Sure, yeah, but his relationships are strong. Mm. The relationships that he does have are strong,
1: and I've heard him speak um, about rum fire before and I mean he is he is passionate about it
2: he's yeah. very passionate and extremely knowledgeable yeah yeah so I'm grateful for that relationship um, I actually owe him a container of rum right now but we're trying <laughs> we, we need to make that rum first because <laughs> we've invested heavily in um, putting rum down for ourselves for when I say for ourselves for the Hamden estate expressions and for right. the future right for the future expressions and demand for that product internationally yes so
0: Krista I've heard you uh you also had a, a hand in the marketing and the, and the label design of Rumfire is, is that also right I think it's like it's got a cult status now
2: uh, <laughs>
1: no we're getting
2: that we're is getting... not that is not that is not technical interference that's me um <laughs> hesitating to so how I should answer that question the
1: gears the gears um, were in motion
2: um, I was in the room when the decision was being made uh I was not 100% opposed to the name because what I didn't like was the perception that one could have from looking at the name that this is fiery, this is harsh. Is it Mm -hmm. cinnamon? Is it pepper? Is it going to burn me? Is it too dangerous Mm -hmm. to handle? Uh, Am I going to be able to manage it? Is it going to overpower me and make me drunk so those were the things that I was concerned about mm-hmm. but of course because we were being led by people who knew what they were doing especially a lot of the times as a woman in the room mm-hmm. as the youngest person in the room sure. and then not know- knowing that your knowledge base is limited in comparison to the other people in the room right. um, I did not necessarily I wasn't so vocal about my apprehension yeah that being said, there was a story about it that, you know, rum fire is it's an overproof rum. Uh, it comes from Trelawney, which was a sh- which was a sugar belt of Jamaica, mm. which used to have hundreds of distilleries at one point in time yeah. in history long ago. Um, and there was a practice. Uh, obviously, it was not a practice that was uh, signed off on by either the government, neither the government nor private owners at any point in time, because the practice was theft of rum and theft of rum from the distilleries. It would be rum that hadn't been refined. Like so, so it was either the heads or the tails. You didn't really know what you were getting. It was just liquid that was a part of the distillation that had been stolen. Um, so it would have been probably straight off the still, mostly. Mm-hmm. Um, it might have been the volatile components of it. You don't know. But generally speaking, it was this, what had been eventually famed as John Right. And the John would usually be high strength. So at Hamden, our, our rum is coming off the stills at 86, anywhere between 83 and 86% ABV super strong flavored Mm -hmm. and if if that was stolen it was sold on the black market as that and so when the bar owners or you know wherever it was being sold into they had to have a way of testing the authenticity of the product other Mm -hmm. than just what it smelled like Mm
3: -hmm. so
2: if it had been watered down the flame would not be as high or it would burn not as strongly and so, in order to test the strength of the liquid, they would throw it on the bar counter, which was wooden. They would throw it on the wooden bar counter and light it. And depending on the intensity of the hue of the blue, or the, the of the fire that it um, that was ignited thereafter, that's how they ascertained its um, strength and its that's potency where the blue fire and its authenticity. And the label
3: comes from. Yeah.
2: Exactly. So I love the fact that there was a historical element to the story yeah. and one that most people would never know, even in Jamaica. So I love that. And yeah. I'll just say I love that Right. and not too much <laughs> Well, You a, know, a, I yeah. just think you're creating a brand. You don't want to create a brand that is going to... That is in your face with all these potential difficulties.
3: Mm. Right, right. You know,
2: it, even the, the, the artwork for it, we didn't even create an actual logo. All that was created within the deck was the label.
3: Yeah.
2: Like, I'm sorry. Am I, am I missing something? Yeah. Mind you, I'd never created a brand. We had never created a brand. Had, right.
1: So it's like, maybe built, this is just the way things go. Right. Right. Yeah. 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 We had
2: built businesses yeah. and many of our, most of our businesses were word of mouth. Um, We were actually very anti-advertising. My family, you know, in the 80s and 90s, they didn't believe in the necessity of throwing dollars away, advertising things. Mm. They just believed in putting the work in, offering service, offering customer service that is so good that people don't realize what it is that they want before you actually give it to them.
3: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, And that's what we were able to do before this. So... We just kind of trusted that what was being done was the right thing. And then when I took over, when I came back and I stepped in because I knew what, you know, the the consumers would want. And I Uh knew how people like to be treated and all the rest of it. Um, I realized the monumental task I had because the brand in and of itself presented so many challenges, apart from the fact that it was going up against a giant, like the giant in the market. a respected and not only a respected giant in the market but there was a reason for that it's like i had that respect exactly so as much as i did not oppose it i believe i did not oppose it because i thought i didn't know what i was doing yeah so you know why should my opinions really be valid of course i've learned how to actually speak now (laughs) so if ever you know, now I'm in the middle of a, a construction project. Well, we haven't broken ground yet, but we're building a, a luxury residential building beside a hotel in Kingston.
3: Uh-huh.
2: And I'm managing the marketing and the, I'm managing it. That sounds like it. a Anyhow, full-time job.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> it is. So um, now I, I make my, I, I definitely make my opinions heard, um, even if it is not the, even if it's not, it doesn't get the popular vote in the room. Yeah. But I, I, I credit that to my experience in the rum industry, actually, because I've learned the hard way that if you shut up, nobody's ever going to get a chance to tell you no. Right. Because they won't hear you in the first place.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I'm so, going to make you actually ask questions now so I can stop rambling. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is great. <laughs> yeah. No, I, there's there's so much to that story that I think is really instructive about like your journey in the industry. Um, you know, I think we started out wondering kind of like, you know, how you made the decision to get involved with Hampton. And I didn't know that. I mean, I knew Rumfire came early on, Mm -hmm. but I didn't know that was such a a big driving force. Um, One thing I was interested about was, do you, you know, when you were talking about, you know, people were telling you, oh, these pot stills are special. So it's like, over time, it seems like you got more of a sense of this distillery that we kind of like was just in this deal to get something else. There's this knowledge over time that like wait this isn't normal there's something special with this place how did you did that hit all at once that it was something special was it something you learned over time do you remember like going to the distillery for the first time and what what were your first impressions like the first time you saw it
2: so my my visit to the distillery for the first time was my first visit to any distillery ever in my life
3: mm-hmm.
2: so nothing was really special to me all I saw was a lot of cobwebs and a lot of, <laughs> of rusty iron. I'm like, what the f? These people don't know anything about cleaning. Like when's the last time someone ran a mop through this? here? Right? I like, get some bleach. <laughs> what is this fermentation? This is disgusting. So, um luckily nobody listened to me. Well, I wasn't really that vocal about it, but uh-huh. I was like I am living in a Charles Dickens novel. <laughs> Um So, of City course, I'm every... just actually coming from L.A. at that time. So immediately, my first thought is this is such a great movie set. I'm like I
1: have to write <laughs> for, a script. For a horror film or something? I
2: must write I a need to talk to my agent right now. I don't have to pay for the location. Right, exactly. I'm thinking about how much is going to benefit the overall production budget. Okay, so clearly crystal has no clue about rum at the time because if that's where my mind was going so anyway luckily i learned um what i started hearing i think I, when it when it was i went to berlin and mm-hmm. then to the uk rum fest for the first time that's obviously when i first started hearing about oh hamden you, you're here from hamden obviously i mean as i said it wasn't because of our good looks. They weren't interested in that. They were interested in the rum.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, but it wasn't really until my uh, yeah I had been to a few distilleries, but it was probably about five years ago okay. that I started to really understand, and that was because of the, my blossoming relationship with Richard Seal. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I met him was actually Rocky when I visited- started. I've heard. Rocky started. I thought he was so mean and rude and chauvinistic. i <laughs> never out heard that just... about
0: him. That's so weird, <laughs> huh?
2: You know, it turns out he's just shy. Yeah. Um, which is hilarious. And and he and he suffers. What does he say? I suffer no fools. He has no time for a conversation if it doesn't have to do with rum, horses, <laughs> or math. That was so, exactly
1: that exact phrase. Richard doesn't suffer fools. Was when right. we when we interviewed. Or he
2: suffers. He doesn't suffer fools lightly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We right.
1: interviewed Eric K from Holmes Key, and he sourced some barrels to to release under his brand from Foursquare, yeah. and he was mm-hmm. like, "Yeah, when I." You know, I talked to Richard. He was really helpful, but he doesn't suffer fools. <laughs> so, yes. Yeah. No, not at all.
2: <laughs> so when I first met him, I forget what year it was, but it was it wasn't that long before we actually started having a very positive relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, that, this isn't when we first met. We met at a rum festival. Okay. But I didn't understand how important he was, and I was just kind of intimidated by him. Now. His recollection of our first experience was that he was really nice <laughs> and he was, you know, encouraging and he was impressed that Hamlin was there and he was impressed by me. So I was just, I think, terrified of him because sure. of his reputation um, and that those assumptions, I think, colored my interpretation and perhaps my insecurity as well, knowing that there's so much now. Well, at that point in time, I had been in the rum industry long enough to know that there's so much I don't know. Yeah. Because you're that like point aware in time, of that I think,
1: and it makes you, yeah, it's
3: nerve wracking. Yeah, I,
2: I really only knew that I knew quite a bit about Hamden production. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I wasn't good at science and chemistry and all those things. And so, you know, I I feared anybody asking me a technical question. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, I was trying to learn, but some of the things I just didn't understand. And I really, I really feared um, people perceiving me as this dumb blonde, because I knew that there was more to me than that. But it was just, you know, regular insecurities. So I think that that really colored my, um, assumptions, my, my assumptions of him and my insecurities colored, unfortunately, or took away from my initial experience with him. And then when my parents and I were in Barbados for a vacation, it was our first time to Barbados, um, I wanted to set up a trip to go to Forest Square.
1: Of course. So
2: mm-hmm. I set up a trip to go to Forest Square, And for the entire time, Richard Seal only conversed with my father uh. now my father doesn't have anything to do with the rum production yeah my yeah. father is a brilliant lovely charismatic man everybody loves him okay but he owns a real estate company and
3: you the rum person
2: our dry cleaning businesses and he you know manages all the properties for the group but he doesn't know anything about rum he drinks it yeah So my mother, who, you know, worked on by the distillery, she's the person who bottled the first batch of rum fire herself. Um, She offloaded boxes. My mother and I were the ones who were in the rum industry. And Mm -hmm. Richard wouldn't talk to us. Now, in retrospect, Richard is more comfortable having a conversation with a man, perhaps because he doesn't want to come across as being too friendly, which... Other people don't necessarily consider. So he didn't mm. want to make us feel uncomfortable, sure. and he preferred conversing with my dad. And my dad is just so—he's easy to talk to. Yeah. Um, Richard is shy. He's actually a shy person. So it wasn't long after that that I—I—I—I I, I, I believe it was a conversation that he and I had
3: mm-hmm.
2: that made me realize that he was a huge Christelle fan. Like he was a fan of me. Not just Hamden Rum, but he made it clear and he was honest and open. And I think it was when you know when it was it was when he was introducing me to Luca
3: mm. at
2: UK Rum Fest shortly thereafter. And he was introducing me to people as Hamden and then he would talk about Hamden and I was like, What is this man me. on? I think does does he actually like Is is he fanboying? (laughs) So, and then I became friends with his wife, Gail Gail Seal, who's one of my favorite people in the world, and one of my best friends. And she came out and she's like, "You know, Richard doesn't like a lot of people. Richard loves (laughs) you." And so I was so shocked. But then, so once I started to um, really benefit from that relationship in that he would talk to me a lot. Um, I met Luca. He would tout what I was doing. He would speak about things that Hamden is doing or Hamden have, you know, practices that Hamden had remained intact or chosen yeah. to keep intact since my mm. family took over. Um, he he would speak about that in a room full of people uh, without even know, knowing I was there or not. When that started to happen, and I started to hear how respected Hamden was from people who I respected so much right. and whose knowledge base was incomparable, that's when I started to really understand how special, special. Hamden was. Yeah. And when, yeah, wow. then when I met Luca, I think this might have been the moment. Uh,
1: is this the marriage t- proposal?
2: Uh, yep. <laughs> Yep, it was in one of the upstairs. Um, sorry, I
1: didn't mean I didn't mean this to to spoil the story.
2: I but. know you just spoiler. Sorry. I know. Anyhow, oh, we heard about the now, kiss as well. The, well, the kiss was a part of the marriage proposal,
0: <laughs> of course. And the
2: mo and the moment I was most mortified at any Rome festival. <laughs> but he, um, so I met Luca, and he, I went to his seminar. And Richard knew that my mom had just brought some samples. Because I had been in Europe for about three weeks already doing rum trips and mm-hmm. visiting with some importers and so on. And then my mom came to London to meet me. And I didn't bring all the samples of the four-year-old because at the time we had been aging for almost five years. Mm-hmm. So I, so my mom brought up some four-year-old samples for me. and. I brought them around to Richard was the first person I so happily carried them to. And he tasted them and he was like, Christelle, this is this is incredible. Like, I must make you you must take it to eon, So we went to Eon. Ian. Ian says, Christelle, this is this is incredible. I'm mm-hmm. like, really? Thanks. My grandpa made us put it in barrels. <laughs> you know the story. I'm like, okay, if you say so. So Ian says Sukinda has to taste this. So Sukinda, for anybody listening, um, he is the owner of Speciality Brands and the Whiskey Exchange. Mm-hmm. And um, years before, I had taken Rum Fire to Sukinda, and Sukinda was not a fan. Mm, Liquid was fine, but he hated branding. Um, your, fears,
1: your fears coming my fears My fears. <laughs>
2: right. uh, you see, these are the things that made me insecure in a room. And I loved Sukindo. Like I had, a, I had a professional crush on him. I just <laughs> love how he manages his brands, um, sure. the whiskey exchange, particularly how he's grown that. Yeah. And I love, his, I love his quiet power that mm. he really brings into any room that he steps into. Mm. He's not at all boastful, but he just commands his respect and presence that, mm. that I, I really respect. So anyhow, so I took it to Sukinda. By this point, I'm like, Richard has told me it's fantastic. Ian has told me it's fantastic. Now, Sukinda, like my knees are shaking. I'm just this waiting like for a, it's like a
1: video to- game. You're getting closer to the final boss. Right?
2: <laughs> so Sukinda, at this point, I'm like waiting for somebody to tell me, eh, you know, could be better. It needs to yeah. wait a few more years. something. Like, because in my head, I'm like, it's four years. It's not... Not like it's a twenty odd year old. At that time I wasn't yet I didn't really yet understand the importance right. of the tropical aging. aging.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: So take it to Sukindo. Sukindo goes, Can I get this in a private label? <laughs> so when he that's said a, that, that's a good me, response. I, said, I said, Okay. I mean I wasn't telling him yes. I right. I, I that was, you know, that was kind
0: of it was the moment you knew you had some.
2: Oh, it was the nail in the coffin, but yeah. then the hammer on the nail in the coffin <laughs> Luca was luca gargano <laughs> right and if we all three of all four of us now Ion, richard sukindo and myself go to luca at the end of one of his presentations and i uh, do the, the spiel you know my oh my of course my mommy was there the whole time but always quiet in the background
3: moral
1: support
2: right mm-hmm. so i take him through everything and Richard does a little introduction. We're all kind of standing there. So, you know, in true Luca fashion, he tastes the first and he goes, "Wow, wow, this is good." And then he goes on to the next one, same reaction. And the third one, he goes, wow, <laughs> Christelle, if you have fifty barrels of this rum, I marry you tomorrow." And I'm like, "Mommy."
1: did I ask for this?
2: And then we have I remember how many barrels of each we have I think um, this one we have 200 barrels of this right now right and she goes yeah we have like 220 of that and I said yeah Luca we have like 200 barrels but before I could say anything about not wanting to marry him the man grabbed my face and he kissed me on the lips I mean praise the lord there was no tongue but he like (laughs) he's you know Luca he's passionate and he's distant you know Mm -hmm. I think it it could have been anybody and he was just so overcome that was the beginning so I think that stands out in my mind as the day that I really started to understand what we had at hand then and that was five years ago
1: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) Do you do you remember what, So you had three different samples around four years. Do you remember what each one was? Like were they individual marks or were they blends of?
2: They were they were individual marks. Okay. Um, for this show, I don't remember exactly what they were because, hmm. I mean, I don't remember. I could I could probably look back in my emails ah. because I would have had to have emailed the distillery manager at the time and tell him exactly what I wanted to be. Put in some flasks and sent to Kingston for my mother to take on a plane. Okay. Like, that's how it would have worked. So I'll do some, re- I'll, I'll go back into my emails. I, it would be I, fun to know which again.
1: specific mark elicited I know,
2: the marriage proposal. I think, it mi- <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been LROK. Okay. I think it might have been LROK.
3: Oh gosh,
0: I say LROK all the time. Is that just me?
2: I know. it. No, it's Luca. Luca is the one who has done the LROK. Okay. He, he has made L Rock the the name of the mark, which is sign And Doc. Yeah, I was going to say
1: people have different ways of say. I say D O K. I say so L Rock. It's D O
2: K because it's actually the acronym for Dermot Owen Kelly, who exactly. was right. the distiller at the distillery at mm-hmm. one point in time. L F C H is Lawrence Fla- Francis Close Hossie. That mm-hmm. was my that's my late grandfather. So L F C H is a mark that we created when we took over when we took right. over ownership. All the others As, were, no O, long... o- W H. So the two the okay. two lowest the two lowest ester marks are the two that we created when we took okay. over, which was O W H after my late great grandfather Ultra um, Warmold Hussey and L F C H, which was my now late grandfather um, Lawrence Francis Close Hussey. All of the other marks were we inherited. When is there? Why isn't there a C H yet? There is a C diamond H. C diamond H. But it's not. Um,
0: the diamond is the ring diamond that Luca was going to use. It's not use me. <laughs> <to prepare.
2: laughs> there is Good a C diamond H, uh, but it is not. I think it's continental. I don't. I don't. I, I don't know what the reasoning would have been behind that. But continental mm. high.
0: No, we like Christelle Harris better. Right. Thank we you. We like C diamond H clearly.
2: I'll I'll create my own mark one of these days, and it's going to be CRH. I don't really like how the R fits in, but that's my my middle name.
0: (laughs) We can work on it. We'll get (laughs) there, CRH. There you go.
2: We'll figure it out.
0: So, Christophe, fast-forwarding a little bit more to the present. Of course. I do recall hearing about some expansions to the distillery uh, recently, Including, mm-hmm. I think, a new aging facility, mm-hmm. and uh, I was wondering if you had any information. Can give us a little bit of an update on that, and it, is the intention there just purely to scale up capacity, or are there more you can say about future plans for why that's happening?
2: Yeah. No. Um, well, I think it's twofold. but In, t- in regards to all the infrastructural improvements we've made, so we've put in two new pot stills. One of the one of our existing pot stills was decommissioned. In order to place the pot stills where we needed to, the new Mm. ones, Um, and that one that's currently decommissioned is soon going to be recommissioned. So the the purchase and installation of the new pot stills, the building and implementation and filling—well, we haven't filled it yet, but beginning to um, fill—of the new aging warehouse, the implementation of a microturbine the conversion from bunker sea oil to LNG, which we're now currently using for our energy. All of these are infrastructural upgrades that had two, two driving forces. One of them was distillery efficiency, mm-hmm. obviously. And the second one is to be able to increase our capacity to More keep Hampton. up with our, for, Ham, for Hamden estate, run yeah. um, Yes, we're still doing Rumfire. We actually relaunched Rumfire, the original Rumfire, not the rebranded one. The rebranded one is now gone. Perfect. So, mm-hmm. if anybody, if anybody can actually get their hands on any product, uh, I know the 70CL had sold out long ago, but I think there's some 35CLs of the Rumfire Velvet for Europe um, and the UK still lying around.
3: Collector's um, items.
2: They're now collector's items because they will never be made again, um, <laughs> for sure.
0: I thought you were <laughs> going to was... say you wanted them all to come back to you. Like, bring those back. No. And you know,
2: the. Fun- can I tell you a funny thing? There was some product, because I had a container that was coming to Jamaica and it wasn't filled. Mm. Um, there was some product that I had taken directly from the inbound warehouse in the UK and brought to Jamaica. And everybody in Jamaica went crazy over it. They wanted me to to bury Rumfire, the original, and rebrand using Rumfire velvet branding. And it's because the bottle is something that we don't have in Jamaica because we don't have a glass factory in Jamaica. And to import those specialty bottles is too expensive. Interesting. So everybody in Jamaica loved it. Anyway, but no, it's too expensive to bring back and I'm not in. I'm not focusing on that right now. I'm like, I have a building to build. I'm not interested <laughs> in bringing Rum Fire That's right. What's what's left of it back to Jamaica? So, um, we just re- recently relaunched Rumfire, the original in Europe. So we're still keeping that brand alive, but we're definitely looking to increase, keep up with our with with our projected demand for Hamden Estate. So that's the eight year old that we mm-hmm. currently have. Uh, the overproof. And, um, you know, all our limited edition blends that we do every year now. The first was the Great House a Distillery Edition 2019. Yes. The second is the 2020, which I've heard is fantastic. Um, I tasted it before it was released. Uh, I have not tasted it since because I haven't been drinking. But I plan on mm-hmm. changing that maybe today. Um, Why not me too, right now. Actually?
1: Just uh, I, just go grab
0: the bottle now.
2: There
0: you go. <laughs> we can do I actually have it on the Too way to me today. Me. It's scheduled to arrive at my house today. Will, I'm sorry, but <laughs> I'm the looking hell, forward... man. <laughs> I'm looking forward to trying it later today.
1: So there's just there's flaunting all this in my in my face I, b- before we I got on. Wait. Didn't you say? Didn't you say you're getting the L Rock too? I have to both
0: too? in the same shipment. I have the L Rock unaged uh, Velier bottling and the Great House 2020. So yes, I am super psyched for that. So you lucky wait. bastard! It's it's a
1: it's a Hamden day here at my house. <laughs>
0: but yeah, I'm the...
2: sorry, Whaler. W-
3: it's
1: okay. Actually, Will? It's okay. <laughs> Uh, you know, I, I know that there's there's a new local rum group here that is having ongoing conversations with Kate Perry about getting some more Hampton, some more Velier here. So
2: oh, lovely. the okay, winds great. of change
1: are, are blowing here in the right. middle Tennessee rum desert area. So it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so you,
0: you mentioned the Great House when we were mm-hmm. talking about it, which is, uh, you know, I, I've heard so many good things. I can't wait to, to try it today. It seems to be selling out everywhere. Uh, it hits shelves. And I was just wondering, where did that idea come out of and how did that come about initially? And then how does this year's release differ in terms of some of the specs from last year's? And and is that going to be continued as just a vintage every year of The Great House?
2: Yeah, so I wanted to create something that was exclusive to the distillery that -hmm. you could only get at the distillery.
0: Ah, sounds like well, those plans have changed well. those
2: plans changed slightly because Mr. Luca Gargano tasted the blend and he said "Ah, oh, Christel you must give some to Luca so I know you guys can't see me but I just did the whole hand gesticulation because it's it's obligatory that I can't right. just say it with the accent. It's like the,
3: it's
2: like the, it's like the
1: AOC meme, you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: The, exactly.
2: Yeah.
1: Fingers up, right.
0: connected, yeah.
2: <laughs> yep. um,
0: but he wasn't physically present uh, this time, so you didn't have to worry about any of that stuff, right? It was just...
2: <laughs> you know, he actually was physically present <laughs> oh, that oh, okay. time. He was in Jamaica and... No, Luca and I now have an understanding of what is acceptable and what is not acceptable.
3: Right. Yeah. And
2: I have no issues with him crossing that line. So we're we're good. He he doesn't have any. You know the funny thing. He has no bad intention.
0: Oh, of course not. Yeah.
2: I think you. One has to communicate, however, if there is yeah. anything. So and cultural um, differences, no. of course, and yeah. culture, of course, We're a worldwide so.
0: phenomenon now with this. Uh, in, I know, you know, right?
2: So, um, no, he was. Pre- we he, we had that conversation in Jamaica, and I said, you know what? What happens overseas is more important to me, anyhow. Not because the foreign market is more important, but because the brand is so much more uh, respected overseas Mm. than it is locally. So I said, sure, I'll give you half of my allocation.
1: Got to give the people what they want.
2: Yeah, and so we did that for the 2019. We've done that for the 2020. The only difference is the 2020 was actually bottled in Jamaica. Mm. So eventually I'd I'd like to bottle everything that comes out of hand in, in Jamaica. It's just that our current bottling facility can't manage that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, and it's the same we're working blend? on it. That
2: will be done. Yeah. It's so the it's same the blend same blend. Yeah. Just one. The vintage is one year later. Gotcha. And that is going to be. And that is going to be the intention going forward.
3: Okay. Gotcha.
2: Uh But that is not the extent of the releases, though, because we do have some, obviously, some Habitat and Belly releases. under mm-hmm. the happen. Well, right. some Hamden releases under the Habitat Young Deli line, right. um, which is really more intended to be an educational line. Um, a lot of individual that's what, that's marks was, with those. Right. That's how it was created. And then there's also the Hamden Estate, the Endemic Bird series. That Yes.
0: People uh, are going crazy for those.
2: I know. Um, I can't go crazy because I don't have any.
3: Well, Join, the in Join the club. Join the club. Exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: No, but you're getting some soon though, which so, wait, I don't what, what? know if you know that.
0: Wait, say say what? Again I didn't now? know that.
2: Say what again now? <laughs> <laughs> say so what again now?
0: The 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 uh, the single cask uh, endemic bird series are are heading our way in the U.S.
2: So you know because you have a lovely you know you you guys should really send fan mail not to me but to this lovely lady named Kate Perry.
1: Oh yes, we've heard of her. Yeah, yes, I we've sent of her, her we've sent her some fan mail in our day, maybe in the form I've of you know messages.
2: I send her fan mail all the time. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan of hers. So I actually did not know this because I I I, I thought that the Endemic Bird series was a Europe exclusive. Mm-hmm, well, yes. not necessarily Europe. I just didn't realize it included the U.S. However, I spoke to Kate. So this information is just being brought to you. I'm, I'm just hot off the I'm presses. A, I'm, a, I'm a conduit. I didn't even know it myself, <laughs> but I spoke to her this week. And she said that I could speak about it in this forum today. Excellent.
1: Okay. Thank you, Kate. She
2: said uh, we will have the Endemic Bird Series single cast in select markets in select the U.S. Select markets.
1: Select markets. I Did think she reveal forum. what those select markets are?
2: No, but she revealed what the casks are.
1: Okay. That's good info. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We will... We will accept that information as well. Do
2: you want to? Li- okay. So it's the Peewee, the Hamden 9-year 2011 LFCH, Ooh. the mm-hmm. Spindless, Hamden 9-year 20- 2011 LFCH, the different cask number,
3: uh-huh.
2: mm-hmm. um, Hamden 10-year 2010 LROK, the woodpecker. Hamden 8-year 2012 OWH euphonia, mm-hmm. and Hamden 8-year 2012 OWH um different cast. of so 665 called Elena. Wow. So
3: that's a, pr- that's a pretty big lineup. Yeah.
2: will be coming to you. Um, I don't know what the markets are, but um, we can probably guess I, at
1: least what a few of them will be. Sure, I
2: know sure. we could, but why bother make the assumptions? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> we try not to deal in assumptions here. Um, yeah, I know me too. Do you have a yeah. favorite endemic bird?
2: Um, I haven't tasted it either.
1: No, I just mean like the actual animal itself.
2: Oh, endemic bird! (laughs) Oh, I I mean, you know, and actually, I take that back. So I taste, I've tasted a lot of the different casts without knowing which ones they were. Yeah. Because um, whenever I go to the distillery, uh, whenever I have special rum lovers such as yourselves, and I'm able to get myself away from Kingston, I, I, I try to. And whenever we have like rum VIPs come through, we try to take them into the lab, Ooh. and so in going into the lab, the lab has all the samples, from mm-hmm. anything that we've ever sent, that we that we really ever distilled, wow. um, any casks that have gone out. We keep the samples of them, you know, just one little two hundred ml flask usually. So I've gotten the opportunity to taste a lot of those that would have been a part of the endemic bird series, mm-hmm. but not knowing which, which cask is... they would have been right. because. Yeah you know this is really kind of a, it's it's a very new concept for us yeah. at Hamden
3: yeah
2: um my palate has only just gotten used to the different marks i mean yeah i've been drinking it for 10 years but um i've only just gotten used to the different marks never have i really thought about really analyzing one cask against another yeah. it's the exact same distillation run and it went in the barrel on the same day or the same week kind of thing. Right. So um, that's something I'm looking forward to getting into, but mm-hmm. I can only do it in my lab because we don't have any of those boxes here. <laughs> <laughs> do I have a favorite endemic bird? Um, well, I don't know what it is, but my favorite bird is the, the national bird of Jamaica, which is a doctor bird, but, Based Dr. on what bird. I'm seeing yeah. with this endemic bird series, I think there are a bunch of different types of Doctor Birds. I see Because okay. the Doctor Bird isn't isn't specified as an endemic bird. So that's something I'm going to do as the research on this weekend since right. we're talking about it and I don't and I don't and I'm realizing I don't know. Well, <laughs> you didn't surprising. realize
1: you didn't realize you'd walk away from this interview with a
0: bird <laughs> research know. homework assignment.
2: Really? Yeah. <laughs> It's not uh,
1: surprising to hear
0: uh, you like Dr. Bird based on your love of doctor anyway, so that's a, <laughs> right, a perfect yeah. fit. Yeah. That was a
2: terribly corny joke.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for calling him I, out on that. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm alone in having I'm to call out show. these corny jokes. But Yes.
0: No,
2: yeah. I'm on your side, Will. I appreciate the
1: support. <laughs> you know, on, on the notion, we've talked about the all these releases coming from the Hampton brand, and... We've we touched on the fact that Hampton rum was being made and sold to Europe in bulk for, for so many years and so many years. But it's only recently that there's been a Hampton branded product, you know, rum being aged there in Jamaica uh, and sold under the Hampton brand. And I, I was wondering, just interested in, has having its own branded rums impacted anything like at the distillery itself in terms of the pe- people working at the distillery when you're able to see something that you're making, then having the place's name on it. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it seems like that would be um, a nice feeling. I, I'm just curious if the, if you feel like that's had an impact on anything about the way distillers look at production or anything like that. Has it had any kind of effect?
2: Um, yes, but I think that a big part of it is still missing because they're not seeing the local market um, demand it.
3: At right. All.
2: the local market is still very much driven by the big boys, yes, um, and playing that space is very expensive.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: for me, it's not worth it why not because not because it's not important to me, but because, as I said before, there's so much respect for the brand overseas where you know I'm, we don't we don't need to give away anything to sell a bottle overseas,
3: yeah. Yeah.
2: locally i'm gonna to have to give away nine bottles before i sell one
3: mm.
2: you know even with the yeah. even with the great house um distillery edition i have product here i have product here from 2019 i have product here from 2020 and i will i will have that product next year
3: mm-hmm.
2: um because there's a very there is a handful of people that are rum nerds in jamaica um and they want more product they want to be able to get the limited edition releases available in Europe and available in the States. But it's just really a handful of people that have that knowledge and that have been uh, exposed to that education. So I think because uh, they're not seeing it on the local market or they're not seeing a demand for it on the, from the local market, mm-hmm. that's missing. But of course, they're seeing new products going out and they're feeling good about the fact that there's demand it's without a doubt that they see um, the infrastructural upgrades and the, the to be able to keep up with the demand. Of course, they feel good about yeah, that yeah. because they know they're a part of something that's bigger than what they can than what's tangible. Mm-hmm. Here, that being said, a lot of the a lot of the people that work at the distillery, have never gone overseas. Yeah. So, how much are, how much do they really appreciate? I don't know. I think that's debatable. Mm-hmm. Um, perhaps they might think it's cool. But even... I'll give you a joke. Not a joke, an example. Mr. Vivian Wisdom, he was the distiller at, the, at Hamden a few years ago. He went on to a different um, endeavor mm. about two years ago now, but um, before he left, I took him to the UK Rum Fest, and he was blown away. Now, this is a man, he was the distiller at the distillery, so he was the general manager of the distillery, right. and he was responsible for all the operations. He's highly educated. He has traveled. He has worked at every distillery in Jamaica that's currently in existence. Wow. He had a tremendous knowledge base. But when he went to the UK Rum Fest, he was dumbfounded. Hmm. He had no idea that there were so many different rums being produced in the world from all these different places. He, like, yeah, he had heard about different production methods, um, but he never knew that there was so much there and he had no idea that there was such respect behind in. Wow. And that's somebody who had the capacity to be able to understand. Um, he had traveled, he had, you know, the education, he really I mean, there was nothing really stopping him from being able to know that other than the fact that he had never seen it firsthand. Yeah. So I don't expect that. People who are working at the distillery, especially, you know, the, the, lay, the laypersons who really do a lot of the heavy lifting, mm-hmm. um, who are so important. Um, people who, who make sure that the fermentation vats are kept intact. Um, people who do the maintenance on the fermentation houses. People who do the maintenance on the pot sales and the, implement and the installation of the new, new machinery. <sighs> to be honest, I think at the end of the day, a lot of them are just going to work. Sure. Yeah, maybe it feels good to see the you know trucks leaving with product, but how much is it really impacting them and their their livelihood?
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's
2: allowing them to be able to keep their jobs, but yeah. I think a lot of the time, unfortunately, that's that that that's kind of as far as if they their vision is job. allowing them to see. Sure. Yeah, yeah. They're happy that Hammond is open, but I don't. I think sometimes a lot of them might just think, oh well, they they might not have considered it closing. Yeah. So, yeah, um, yeah, there's appreciation, but I think as a result of lack of exposure, it's not as it doesn't have the impact that some of us would imagine it does. Mm. Actually, I'm happy. I'm I'm happy you made me answer that question because perhaps I think perhaps I need to do something about
3: that. We'll see. Mm.
2: Thanks. Sure.
0: So let's almost take the opposite perspective and shifting kind of thinking about Jamaican rum in the global market. Uh, overall, as you kind of mentioned, and and thinking about it from that perspective, I saw an article pretty recently where Roger Barnes, brand ambassador in the UK uh, for Jamaican rum, said, "I, I think uh, Jamaica is the Isla of the rum world." And so, mm-hmm. for those not familiar with Scotch, Isla is a very recognizable type of peated Scotch on made specifically on one Scottish island, and has a big following. So, I was wondering. I saw that quote and and. Could definitely see where he was going with it, and I was wondering what your thoughts are on that statement, and if you kind of see it the same way.
2: Absolutely, I do. Um, I obviously because if you just from a from a from a very basic point of view, if you know anything about rum and you smell a bottle of Jamaican rum, it doesn't have to be Hamden, doesn't have to be Worthy Park, it doesn't have to be one of the Pot Still exclusive but or appleton hearts which i have not gotten the chance to take but it's oh, okay. i
3: haven't either um, God, you know?
2: don't worry you will you and i are in the same boat darling. I know,
1: yeah how are you as left <laughs> out on this as i am? of course i haven't been to the i haven't been to the hampton lab yet either you know, so you're ahead why, of me there.
2: no but seriously you asked that question in jest but the truth is because of the same thing because the brat because what makes what makes it so respected overseas isn't what we pay attention to locally
1: it's not the market we there. pay attention yeah. it's
2: not the market yeah, yeah. the market is is right. you know it's either hype so if something is super trendy overseas and we'll gravitate towards it or brand loyalty for good reason to appleton and ran a few yeah and they can't they're, they're not going to see the, the the general public is not going to see the value in spending so much money right. on something that well, they can just buy the Appleton 8 or 12 and they're mm-hmm. great products. Right. So, sorry. I keep going off on tangents. We love tangents. Um... <laughs> That's what this is for. Guys, what was I saying?
1: Uh, you were talking about the comparison between Jamaican rum and uh, right, Isla, sorry. Isla Scotch.
2: Yeah, if you smell it, you know that it's Jamaica. Yes, okay? So, right. you know it's a Jamaica rum regardless of whether it is an unaged, column-stale or if it's a eight, ten, twelve, twenty-year yeah. tropical-aged pot still, or there's anything like a in between, there's a signature. Now, there's that, but we could also take the statement uh, from a different perspective. Scotch whiskey, the way I see it, that category, has grown has has grown exponentially more recently than historically, and with the advent of single malt only happening in the late 1960s. Although single malt is only currently responsible for a small percentage of global Scotch whiskey sales, I would Mm. argue that the Scotch whiskey category as a whole has benefited from the value added by the advent of single malt and the respect
1: perception right. and
2: perception yeah. of the uh, of you know the fact that this is a high quality spirit yeah so even the blended blended scotch whiskey has benefited so much from that added value of it being a, a highly sought of, of 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 single malt being a highly sought after rare more highly valued product now I say that to draw a comparison to the, what's happening in the rum industry. Although parts of the rum has been been around forever, mm-hmm. I think that the rum category has somehow uh not 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 been so lucky because mm-hmm. there have been so many different uh because of the categorization issues you know, what is called rum in one geographic region to, compared to another. There's been consumer confusion, I think, mm-hmm. because there's so much diversity within the rum industry that I think the consumer has not been given the opportunity to really be able to understand how to value rum. Yeah. Now, with the advent of the repopularization, or I'd say the renaissance of pot still rum and an understanding of why it's so valuable Mm. i think that that what had happened in the 1960s and 70s for the scotch whiskey industry is currently happening in the rum industry Mm. so from that perspective as opposed you know as opposed to a technical point of view um i think it's more a social point of view i i i I draw that comparison and definitely agree with raja
3: yeah
1: so Christelle, we're gonna to have to have you back on at some point because, like, there's still so much. Yeah, I so have to much... wrap up. First. <laughs> yeah, no, John has a, John has a meeting in 12 yeah. minutes, and so we want to make sure that we don't forget the rapid fire segment of the interview.
2: Yes, come with my rapid so fire.
1: Are you prepared? Do you know? Do you know what you are in for right now?
2: No idea. <laughs> do I? Do I Even just better. answer things? Do I answer things as quickly as I can? That is literally exactly. exactly okay, right. go. Yeah. <laughs>
0: So we'll, we'll put 60 seconds on the clock. We're going to yeah. give you 60 seconds worth. We're going to try to get to as many of these as possible through your quick answers. And uh, Will? I, I'm, the, I'm the timekeeper. Seconds. Yeah, I'm um, the timekeeper? Wait,
1: were you saying your grandfather was a timekeeper? Right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so Will's okay, so I'm doing now. a little bit of timekeeping right now. Okay, so on your mark, get set, and go. All right, neat or on the rocks?
2: Uh, neat.
1: Column, pot, or blend?
2: Pot.
0: Hampton Overproof or 46?
2: 46.
0: You have three acting credits for films on IMDb. Which film should fans go see first? <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> All right. Uh, L Rock or OWH?
2: OWH.
0: All right. OWH or DOK? OWH. Is there any truth to the rumor that Rum Fire is just the first in a line and that Rum Earth and Rum Wind are also coming soon?
2: <laughs> Zero
0: maybe they could all be released together in september uh,
2: not not even <laughs> answering that question Go
0: Fa- favorite place in the world to drink some hampton rum trelawney all right we know that the story luga gargano proposed marriage to you immediately after trying some aged hampton rum has he tried to put on ring on it since then no <laughs> favorite person to share a bottle of rum with richard seal all right what's the best tip you can give us to get richard seal to smile or laugh
2: put me beside him
0: <laughs> that's time <laughs> all right great excellent job very on point there because i uh, get good answered quick
2: thank yes. you very much thank you well it's i had like do you see the size of my coffee cup it's literally 16 ounces
0: <laughs> that's a big one yeah is that an espresso
1: uh, uh as well as a uh, rum fire
0: or no
2: <laughs> no that one is just that's just coffee
1: well, okay, so we I think we've covered a lot, but anything else to add uh, or share with rum fans out there before before we no, go? No,
2: just um, actually, yeah, I will just say um, thank you for indulging me because uh, oh, without you. you guys, I would have nothing to do with rum except for to continue drinking it. Um, when I went into the rum industry, I thought I knew so much because I had been exposed to... One of the best brands in the world from a very young age, Appleton yeah. Yeah. and Ray Nephew. And I didn't drink Ray Nephew when I was younger because I thought it was too strong. But in Jamaica, you know, we kind of, we it's, it's not legal. We're not supposed to drink before the age of 18. But I had a couple of drinks when I was a teenager and I didn't know any other rums really. But I knew that in terms of spirits, Appleton was considered great. And so the fact that I had been drinking it or I've tasted it and I had access to it since I was 14 somehow made me feel like I knew enough about rum to be a part of the industry. And I did not <laughs> know anything. Well, I would say really. that's
1: certainly a better teenage introduction to rum than what American teenagers get.
2: I, I would definitely <laughs> agree with you. So um, just from every, every, everybody that I've ever had any contact with in the rum industry, whether it was 10 years ago or today, thank you for being patient with me. And thank you for trusting me to, to bring Hamden to the market and create relationships that have been able to facilitate that. And thank you for appreciating Hamden. And for those of you that have been a part of my life, you've all played a role so thank you and um, to those of you I haven't met yet I hope I do and that when I do you ask me all the questions but just don't propose <laughs>
1: <laughs> the one question that's off limits yeah awesome yes. <laughs> uh, thank you Christelle this was really great and uh, thank you for you know getting Hampton into uh, the, the hands of more people out there mm-hmm. um, we, we all owe thanks to you and your family for that so we appreciate it
2: my pleasure
1: Everyone, thank you so much for listening in on our conversation with Christelle Harris. Definitely keep an eye out for those releases that she mentioned. I know John and I will be doing the same. If you have any questions related to the episode, feel free to hit us up on social media at Rumcast on Instagram and Facebook. And you can always email us as well, host at rumcast.com. That's H-O-S-T at rumcast.com. Let us know what you think about the episodes. Let us know what you want to hear more of. And we will do our best to make that happen. Uh, John, anything to add before we go?
0: Oh, thanks uh, so much for listening. And uh, we can't wait to get to these. We've got some really great episodes coming up. I think I always say that now, but it's because it's true. Yeah. <laughs> and we're always excited about this. stacking next them up guests. these days. Boom. It's going awesome. And we can't wait to get to those and get that info uh, and, and fun conversations to you all. Thank you so much for taking this ride with us. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Yep. Talk to you then.